Welcome to Bible Insights with Wayne Conrad. God's Word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our paths. It's always amazing to me to think about the Lord Jesus Christ at what we call the Last Supper. Actually, this was not his Last Supper with his disciples because after his resurrection from the dead, in fact, on Resurrection Day, he had supper with his disciples in another upper room where they were gathered together with the doors locked. He asked them if they had any fish to eat, and they did, and he ate it in front of them, demonstrating his true bodily resurrection from the dead. But it was his last Passover with his disciples, and it was the last meal before his crucifixion, which was going to take place within the next 12 to 15 hours. And what he did at that meal was truly amazing. He demonstrated his love for them. The first thing he did was he told them, I have longed to eat this Passover with you. And it says that he loved his own and he loved them until the end. Oh, the love of Christ for his own people. It's amazing. Another thing he did was that after Judas had left and there was the 11 left, Jesus turned to preparing them for facing his departure. It's amazing. See, he's the one who's going to be crucified. He is the one who's going to go through great suffering and passion for his disciples, for all those who will believe on him. Yet, he spends this time focused on the confusion, the hurt, and the sorrow that his disciples are going to be experiencing when all of these things happen to him. He begins after he watches the disciples' feet, and then he reveals that one of them is going to betray him, and Judas uh, takes the cue, and he leaves. And then it says that when he had gone out, when Judas had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. He's talking about the fact that the Father will receive glory by Christ's crucifixion. Now, why is that? Well, it's because his crucifixion upholds the holiness and the justice of God against sin, against sinners. He would bear the punishment that was due to them. But in paying that price, the Father is glorified in his justice and in his holiness, but also in his love for this provision of his only begotten Son to be our sacrificial lamb. But Jesus goes further than that. He says, little children, a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. And then Peter says to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, well, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. But Peter said to him, Lord, what can I, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, 
Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you've denied me three times. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Now, he goes on to discuss the great mysteries of the Godhead in this speech. But for right now, let's just look at what he said to them. And I want us to take a new look at a statement we often read at funerals, but the context is really not a funeral. The context is in the midst of of the failure, the impending failure of his allegedly most loyal disciple, Peter, who is always the first to proclaim the faith on behalf of all of them, the first to claim that he would fight for Christ, he would die for Christ, he'd stand by Christ no matter what. And Jesus knows that within a few hours, Peter will be warming himself at the, at the fireplace in the courtyard, and when asked if he knows him, he will deny him three times. It's in the face of this impending denial of Peter that Jesus says these precious words, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. He's speaking to his beloved disciple in the midst of an impending failure that he knows will occur. And he assures him, you believe in God, believe also in me. Don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'm going to come to receive you to myself. And he will do that. He will do it at the end of time when he brings us into the new heaven and the new earth. But he, he's opening up questions for his disciples. He's, he's putting sort of a, a teaser. I don't know if that's the right word, but he's putting something out there that provokes questions on the part of his disciples, and he then answers the question. He says, I'm going somewhere, and where I'm going, you cannot follow me now. But where was he going? Well, he was going to the Father. He said that. I'm going to the Father. And he mentions it more than once in this concluding hour or two with his disciples. He says, I am going to the Father. But the way to the Father is the way of the cross. Because he came into the world on the mission. The mission was to give his life as a ransom for his people. And then he would go to the Father. When the mission was completed, the atoning sacrifice had been made. He would be raised from the dead. And then subsequently, he would be ascended back into heaven. He would return to the Father. He is, after all, the eternal word that is always dwelt with the Father from all eternity. And he would go back to the place of glory beside the Father in the heavenlies. 
Well, Jesus is concerned about his disciples' confusion, about their great hurt and disorientation when he is put to death because he knows that their expectations has been different. Their expectations is he's going to be some kind of military conqueror that will throw off the yoke of the Romans and all of the nations that oppress Israel and establish Israel as the heart of the world. But Jesus did not come to establish such a kingdom. He came to establish the kingdom of God. He had already started it right there in their midst because where the king is, there is the kingdom. But he wants them to know that his cross is not defeat. His cross will actually be victory. But his cross is great suffering. We should never think that because Christ knows the end from the beginning, it was not extremely real, extremely physical, extremely emotional, extremely physical, everything. It was the most intense suffering of any because it was not just physical or emotional, but it was spiritual. It was a cut off, as it were, from the very fellowship of the Father for a period of time when he became the atoning sacrifice for sin. But he's going away. In a few hours, he will be crucified, and then he will be taken down from the cross. His body will be wrapped in cloth, and he'll be laid inside a tomb, and a great boulder will be shut across the door, and they will see him no more. That is, for a few hours. Because he would come back. In three days, he would be resurrected from the dead and they would see him again. But that in-between time, between his suffering and death on the cross and his resurrection will be a time of intense grief, of intense pain, of intense crying and weeping and greatly missing him. He talks about that some more when he sort of got closer to Coming to the end of his discourse, he says this to them. He says, a little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. In other words, I'm going to be eclipsed from you for a little while. But it's not going to last a long period of time. And I will come back and you will see me again. So some of his disciples said to him, I'm reading from John chapter 16, some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while, you'll not see me. Again, a little while, and you will see me because I'm going to the Father. They're scratching their head. They don't understand. What on earth is he talking about? Because they can only see what was around them. They couldn't see beyond that. They couldn't see what was going to happen in 50 days after he was resurrected from the dead. They couldn't see what was going to happen in 40 days after he was resurrected from the dead. But great and momentous things were on the horizon. So they were saying this among themselves. What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. And Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him these questions. So what does he do? So he says to them, is this what you're asking yourself? What do I mean by my saying? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. He knew what they were saying, and he spelled it out to them. This is what you're saying. Well, look, ask me, and I will tell you. Here's my answer. Truly, I say to you, you'll weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow 
will turn to joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you will have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Do you see what he's saying? He's preparing their hearts for the great anguish. He is going to be crucified. He is going to die and be buried, and grief will consume them. But he wants them to understand there will be joy Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And the joy he's talking about was the morning of the third day, the dawning of the first day of the week when Jesus arose bodily from the grave. And on that day, he appeared to some of his disciples, first to the women, secondly to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and thirdly in the upper room to the eleven who were gathered together and there they were crying and weeping their heart out and Christ suddenly appeared in their midst and said shalom peace peace be with you and he demonstrated it was really him they could see the scars they will never go away because they are the scars of his eternal love for his people but he said to them I'm not a ghost. I'm flesh and bone. Touch me and see. Do you have anything here to eat? And then he ate right in front of them. He had supper on resurrection day evening. Christ was alive. Joy filled their hearts. And for the next 40 days, Jesus sort of comes and goes in the midst of his disciples, different ones at different times, sometimes individually, Many times with a group, at one time with 500. Jesus made at least 10 recorded appearances. There may have been others, but these are recorded so that we will know of the historicity and the reality of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, what was different from his resurrection and those who had been resurrected before? Well, all those who had been resurrected before came back in the same bodies that they died in bodies that were still subject to death, subject to sickness, subject to being dead again. But Jesus came back in an immortal, incorruptible human body of flesh and bone that was never capable of dying again. And he is in that incarnate, glorified body now and will forever be in that body. He is the eternal incarnate word. His is the true resurrection from the dead. We will follow in the last day when he returns and we are changed in a moment in the twinkling of time and our bodies will be made like unto his glorious body, incorruptible and immortal, never again subject to death. But during that period of time, Jesus in his resurrection appearances not only demonstrated his true resurrection from the dead, 
but he spent an amount, great amount of time instructing his disciples. It's from this period of instruction and the intense post-resurrection appearances, conversations, and meals with Jesus, the disciples' minds were refreshed with the things that are recorded for us in the Word of God, in the Gospel narratives of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is how Luke records it. In the first book I wrote to you, Theophilus, I I began to deal with all that Jesus began to do and, and teach until the day when he was taken up, that is, when he was removed from earth, went back into heaven in this glorified body. After he had given commandments through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, to them he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And he made a great promise to them. I'm going away but I'm sending someone in my place. That someone he calls the Holy Spirit, another advocate, the comforter, the helper, the paraclete, the one who brings very near to us the very presence of Christ, the one through whom we know the Father and the Son, the one who communicates to us the great reality of our triune God, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ. Ah, our Lord Jesus Christ loves his own. He prepares him for his departure, both the temporary departure followed by the resurrection and the later extended departure, which is still ongoing when he returns to heaven until the Father says, the time has come, and he will return to earth in power and in great glory. We await that day, but until then we know his presence through the one he sent in his name, the blessed Holy Spirit of God. What wonderful news. Christ is alive, and his Holy Spirit has been sent to testify of him and to bring us into the great reality of this relationship with God that will never end. This has been Wayne Conrad with Bible Insights. And the next time, remember that Jesus lives and the Holy Spirit has come to glorify him and to prepare us for all the future that awaits us as his people.